would be cooking the cold water? Answer, even according to Ashkenazim, called Homer Spartan, water, cold water, raw water, right, uncooked water, is not cooked in a klisheni, it's only cooked in a klirisha. How can water be raw? Say again? How is water raw? It's water. I didn't hear you. How is water raw? It's water. Un- well, well, it's uncooked. That's raw, I mean, there's no, we don't call it raw water. Un- uncooked water, cold water. I'm allowed to put cold water into hot water that's in a klisheni. That's what he said, okay? Now, I am cooking the water. The answer is no. Water is specifically designated in the Gemara as not being Kale Bishel, according to everybody. So I could put water in a klisheni. Okay, I could put cold water in a hot klisheni of hot water. But other than water, and similarly, you know, if I have uh, whatever it is, if I have a cholent, and for whatever reason it's not greasy enough, uh, I would, well, okay, okay cholent's a little different. Let's say soup, let's say soup. Let's say I have a soup. Cholent will be a problem of Deborah Gush, I'll get to it. But if I have a clear soup, and I want to add some oil to it, either olive oil or uh, uh, sesame oil or something, so the halacha is, even though I'm putting something cold into something hot, but the bowl is either a klisheni or even a klishlishi, that depends on the label, right? Because remember, the pot that has the soup is a klirisha. The ladle would be a kli, might be a klirisha in itself, or it might be a klisheni, depends. So the, depending on how long, how long you leave the ladle in, so the bowl is either a klisheni or a klishlishi, but either way you could put oil in it, because oil is not kale bishon. So those are the two things, oil and water. But Ashkenazim maintain every other food is at least a suffix, meaning we're not sure, it's a suffix if it's kale bishol, so you would not be allowed to put it in a klisheni that's yad soledespo because of the fear that it might get cooked. Now this is Ashkenazim. Uh, Sephardim, again, just remember the note, are actually mekel, they actually maintain that most things are not kale bishel, and therefore you're allowed to put it in a klisheni. Okay, now this again would be very, very relevant if you have hot soup. Let's say you have hot chicken soup. And you'd like to add a piece of raw carrot, which will get you know kind of mushy or cooked, or you want to add scallion, or you want to add onion, or you want any, any, any fresh vegetable. You want to add potato. Well, potato is usually going to be cooked, so that potato wouldn't be different because potatoes are already cooked. But let's say something that wasn't cooked: carrot, onion, pepper. So Ashkenazim would say. You're not allowed to put it in a hot bowl of soup because since the hot bowl of soup is a klisheni, we treat raw vegetables as kale bishol and therefore you cannot put it in the hot soup because it would get cooked in the soup. Svardim would be mako because they would say raw vegetables are not kale bishol and therefore you couldn't put it in the soup tureen or at least the soup pot 
even if it's off the fire, because that's a Kli Rishon, but you'd be allowed to put it in a Kli Shani. Okay? So that's Kli Shani. Okay, so we have Kli Rishon, we have Kli Shani. What about Kli Shalishi and beyond? What about, you know, you transferred it uh, from the urn, you have a cup, so the cup is a Shani, uh, then you do it from cup one to cup two, so that's a Shalishi, so, and, uh, and then it can go on forever. Shalishi, Ravi, we don't even use the word Ravi. Shalishi, right? We're going to Kli Shalishi. So Rav Moshe Feinstein says, once you hit a Kli Shalishi, there generally will not be cooking at all. No matter how hot it is, there is no cooking beyond a Kli Shani, that the Chumrah of Kalei Bishel only applies to Kli Shani. It does not apply to Kli Shalishi. Uh, but other people are machmerana, which means uh, there's a very big machlokas, I mean, even among Ashkenazi poskim, whether klishalishi is like a klisheni, or whether, no, once it's a klishalishi, everything is going to be permitted at that point. Okay. So those are the main issues about cooking. When is it called cooking? Okay, so it's very important to know the machlokas, Ashkenazim and Svardim, regarding Kale Bishel and Kli Shani. Now, a separate machlokas, again, I know I'm reviewing a little bit, is do we apply this to solid food that gets transferred? Meaning, uh, if I take, pour hot water from the urn, the urn is the Rishon, the cup is a Shani, and if I pour it into another cup, it's a Shlishi. And Rav Moshe says there's no cooking problem once it's a shlishi. Now, how does that work if instead of hot liquid, you're dealing with hot solid food, like a hot baked potato, right? So I take the baked potato out of a, whatever, a baking tin. So the baking tin was the klirisha, which was on the fire. I put it on a plate, which is a klisheni, on a serving platter. And then the serving platter, I put it on your plate, and your plate is a Kli Shalishi. Right? You understand that? In other words, the, the thing in which it was baked is the Rishon. The serving plate is the Shani. And your personal plate is Shalishi. Now, let's assume, according to Rav Moshe Feinstein, for example, there's no problem of cooking once it's a Shalishi, if it had, if it had been soup or something. Right, so you could, according to Rav Moshe, you could put raw carrots into kli shalishi soup. Well, could I put raw vegetables on top of a hot potato that's already been transferred to a kli shalishi? So this too is a machlokas. Some basically say we apply the same rules, but the Magin of Ram and the Minigas to be Machmir says that solid food always remains klirishon because the, the, it's, it's as if the food itself is its own vessel. Which would mean, according to this, you would not be allowed to put a hot-baked potato, that's yatso lettuce bow, next to cold salad. Just touching it. Because the hot potato would be cooking the lettuce or cooking the chives, or whatever it would be, you see? Uh, even though, by the time the potato is on your plate, your plate is a klishlishi, 
But the Magen Avram's Chumra of Davar Gush, Davar Gush just means a solid food, is that a Davar Gush always has the status of a Klirishon. So, now again, if the baked potato is under Yatsu lettuce bow, there's of course no problem, but assuming the baked potato is Yatsu lettuce bow, you're going to have a problem with uh, any raw vegetables. So now, let's just, same thing with steak or meat or you know any hot roast, hot chicken. So now, let's analyze the following. Could I put, well, assuming you're having a milchik meal, could I put butter on a hot baked potato? Could I put ketchup on a hot roast beef? Right? Can I put margarine, if it's a fleshing meal, right? Margarine on the potato. Uh, am I cooking something? Right? Now again, if you go like the minor, the postkin who, who say Dover Gush is no different than liquid, it's going to be much because it's a klishlishi, right? Generally speaking, once it's on your plate, your plate is a klishlishi, right? Because you had the cooking pot and you had the serving platter and then you have your plate. So if there's no chumrah of Dover Gush, of course it's going to be mutter, but we're going with, with like the chumrah, uh, Magin Avram, who's machmer by Dover Gush. So how is that going to apply for ketchup, for butter, for margarine? So now we have to bring in something else. See, everything is interrelated. Ketchup is made from tomatoes that are cooked. Okay, you're not talking about raw salad. Ketchup is cooked. Butter is made from milk that is pasteurized. You can actually get raw milk. It's against the law, well, at, least, at least in the United States. Raw, because some people have this thing. <laughs> they uh, think that pasteurization, which kills germs, also kills vitamins. So there actually is a little bit uh, of a subterranean uh, industry of selling what is called raw milk. That's not, but again, it's actually against the law. Uh, that's not pasteurized. But let's go that uh, the normal way. Most milk is pasteurized, which means it's essentially been boiled. So ketchup is cooked. Butter is cooked because of the pasteurization of the milk. Uh, margarine, I, I'm not sure, but let, let, let's assume all three of them are cooked. So. Now we do it. So now let's figure this out. The hot chicken, the hot potato, the hot roast beef, because it's a Dover Gush, it's going to be able to be Mavashel even in a Klishlishi. Okay. But we have another principle that there's no cooking after cooking. Once something was cooked, there's no issue to reheat it. But it gets complicated because there's a distinction between liquid food and solid food. Now to remind you, solid food that has been cooked, there is never cooking after cooking, no matter what. So, if I would want to put, let's say, fried onions on top of a hot baked potato and the fried onions are already cold, no problem. 
because that's a solid food that's already been fried. But with liquid, what's the law? What's the law with liquid? That even though there's no cooking after cooking, if the liquid is not is below room is room temperature or I'm sorry, well, is it if it's below room temperature, rewarming it is considered cooking. Which means the following. If my ketchup, I take a bottle of ketchup out of the refrigerator and I want to put the ketchup on a hot baked potato or a hot piece of chicken, I may have a real problem because even though the ketchup is cooked, it's liquid that has cooled down. As a result, there is an isser of cooking, and since a dover gush is mavashel even in a klishalishi, okay, I hope I'm not, I know it's a little, everyone's following me. If, if you don't get me, please feel free to uh, stop me. Okay? So, th- there would be a svara to say I could not put ketchup on the hot uh, chicken, I could not put butter cold butter on a baked potato. You see how we're integrating two ideas. We're integrating the idea of davar gush with the idea of lach shenitztani. Now, I did see Rav Warbach, Rav Shlomo Zalman had a very interesting pesach. It's hard for me to understand it. He actually says ketchup is treated as a solid food, not a liquid food, because ketchup is made from tomatoes meaning you kind of look at the origin of it. Meaning butter, indeed, would be liquid. Well, actually, there you have the opposite. The truth is, um, well, maybe you have the opposite issue, meaning ketchup started off solid and got turned into a liquid. The butter started off liquid as milk, but got turned into a solid which then gets turned into a liquid as it melts. So you're going to have difficulty. In other words, we have this difference between liquid and solid, but how you characterize ketchup, how you characterize butter might be different, quite different questions. So because of this, the bottom line basically is, if you just need a bottom line, is it is better not to put ketchup on chicken that is yad soled espo. If the chicken is not yet so let us bow, you don't have a problem. I hope I, it looks like I made life very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's like put on a plata over and then taken off the plata after, it's usually okay right? Yeah. Okay. The chicken you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well it depends how hot it yeah. is. If it's not yet so let if it's not yet now yeah, yet so let us bow is pretty hot. Yet so let us bow means it's I mean hundred and ten degrees, I mean it sounds like it's not a lot. But yasolettispo means you would pull your hand away from it, meaning it is painful to the touch. So most of the time, the food you take off the plata is not going to be that hot. Mm-hmm. So be sure you remember this. If it's not that hot, then you can put anything you want mm-hmm. on it. Okay, we're only talking about really hot. Again, I know 110 doesn't sound so hot, but, but the definition of yasolettispo literally means your hand would pull away if you touch it. So 110 is that is that hot. If you touch something 110, it'll hurt your hand to do it. Okay? So, so everyone understand how we got how we got to that particular particular result.
because of the difference between liquid and, and solid. Uh, solid food that has been cooked, there is no cooking after cooking. Liquids, there is no cooking after cooking, but only if it's still warm. If it's, if it's actually, I keep on saying it wrong. If it's at room temperature or below, meaning it's not any warmer than the room temperature, under those circumstances, there is an isser to reheat it, and therefore the laws of Bishul are going to become activated under those circumstances. Yeah? Um, do spices count as Kalibishul? Yeah, so that's, this is a very interesting question. The Gemara actually says, in fact, now I have to correct something that I said. I said before, there are two things that are not Kalibishul, that is water and oil, the Gemara actually says a third thing is not Kale Bishel, and that is spices. So actually, spices are not Kale Bishel, which is why, but, but I'll, I'll give you a qualification on that, which is why, according to this, there would be no problem <coughs> in putting um, salt or pepper or any type of spice on chicken or a hot potato or whatever it is, because spices are not Kale Bishel. Problem is, Rosh Lomazalman Orbach says that that only applied to spices that were not finely ground into powder. Uh, once spices are finely ground into powder, they become kale bishel at that point. So, so, so on one hand, if you had sprigs of basil or tarragon, you could put them on hot chicken, but if you have things that you like shake, uh, there would be a problem of kale bishel. Uh, now, the issue is, that salt, which is really a spice, but salt is cooked, right? The way you get right, so salt, you have the issue of solid. Salt is solid, and therefore you'd be allowed to put salt on something because of ain bishel acher bishel. And that would be true for any cooked spice, but uh, many spices are not cooked, right? Uh, mo most spices are probably not cooked. Most spices are just ground. So Rav Warbach does treat uh, ground-up spices as Kali Bishel. So these are kind of hidden, hidden traps a little bit, meaning you could transgress Bishel in a lot of unusual ways, especially if you incorporate the Mogin Avram's Chumrah, that by a Dabur Gush, we don't have any Klishalishi rules, Dabur Gush. It keeps on, uh, keeps on going. Now, let me mention... Uh, therefore, so let's now go over how do you reheat food on Shabbos and, and why. Right, you have, uh, first of all, there, there is actually a mitzvah to eat warm food on Shabbos, right? A person might say, oh, I don't want to get involved in cooking problems. I don't want to have to learn all these halachas of bishol and go crazy. Um, I'll just eat cold stuff. Uh, well, that's actually not right because it is said that it is covered for Shabbos that you honor the Shabbos with warm food. Uh, that's true Friday night for sure, and even Shabbos morning. In fact, that's why Cholent was invented. It's, it's interesting, the whole Shabbos, well not the whole, but a lot of the Shabbos menu of what Jewish people eat on Shabbos is because of the halachos of Shabbos. Gefilte fish, right? Why was gefilte fish, at least for Ashkenazi, why was gefilte fish invented? There's no fish flying, floating around called the gefilte fish that you get out of the See, right, a filter fish is uh, whatever, pike and whatever, uh, different types of fish, white fish. Uh, but the idea is because removing bones from fish 
we're not discussing this malacha, but there is a malacha called separation, where you're not supposed to take bad stuff from the good stuff. So to remove bones from fish is a prohibited, I mean, there's a way to do it, but it is a prohibited activity on Shabbos. So gefilte fish essentially creates a fish without bones ahead of time, so that avoids the prohibition of borer, of separating bad from good. Right, so gefilte fish was invented because of borer. Now similarly, cholent. So Ashkenazim called it cholent, and Sephardim have something called chamin, which just means warm food. By the way, the what is the what, what is the word cholent mean anyway? What is cholent? Chamin makes sense. Chamin is warm food. Mixture. Uh, well, it became a slang meaning today, because cholent is mixed up, so we use it to, for cholent. But but that 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 comes from the cholent. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big big argument, uh, uh, not in halacha, just uh, but. Uh, Grammarians and etymologists argue over what is the origin of the word uh, cholent. Uh, may, most do connect it to a French word. It's, it's hot and slow. Right, it's like hot, slow, right? It's a combination of words. Uh, showed, uh and cholent, the basic idea of cholent is you put in the meat and the beans and the potatoes before Shabbos and it cooks over Shabbos, and you didn't do any cooking. But it's slow enough cooking process at a low enough, low enough temperature, whether it's a crock pot or whether it's in the oven, so that you'll have hot food Shabbos morning without having to do any cooking on Shabbos, right? So Cholent was invented. Now, uh, in Europe, most people didn't have ovens that uh, could hold a lot of Cholent or whatever it would be, so uh, they used to bring it to a, the bakery. In other words, uh, bakers. You'd have like 100 people would bring their cholent to the bakery in a brown paper bag. And then they would claim their cholent. Shabbos morning, they would go to the bakery. The bakery would be open, not for business, but just so people would pick up their cholents and, and the like. That, I believe, is how, uh, and this continued in New York. Maybe Hasidic communities still do it in Williamsburg. I don't know. But... Uh, this is how Mayor Lansky began his life of crime. You've heard of Mayor Lansky? I mean, not that you no. need to hear of him. Mayor Lansky was a Jewish uh, mafia, basically. He was a you know, real uh, godfather type, but he happened to be Jewish. And uh, how did he become a gangster? Because as a little boy in New York, some ruffian took away his child. He came from a very poor family, and he was like a nine-year-old short little kid, and uh, some bully took his cholent, or uh, threw, threw, threw away his cholent, and he was determined that would never happen again. And so you never know. As you push around a little kid, you never know what you're going to, because he became quite vicious. He kills many, many people in his life, you know, et cetera. So you got to be careful. Don't take away anybody's cholent. You don't know, you don't know what's, going, what's, going to, uh, what's going to happen. Okay. Um, so it's Baruch Hashem. It's a wonderful thing that uh, the Jewish menu is based on following mitzvos, following the mitzvos of Hashem. That's how the Shabbos menu uh, evolved. Okay, uh, so now let's talk about how do you actually reheat food and what's the issue. In other words, let's imagine I put my food from Friday night, I put it in the refrigerator, and uh, now 
it's cold, everything is cold, and I want to reheat it, let's say, two hours before people come home from shul, whatever, an hour before. So what am I allowed to do? So the first thing you need to know is you need to know the difference between solid food and liquid food. If it is solid food, there are a number of good options that I have, but I don't, but my, op, my options are not unlimited. If it is solid food, I can certainly put it in a clearishon that's not on the fire. Meaning, let's imagine um, I have some wrapped up chicken. I mean, people don't do it this way, but I'll, I'll mention it. So I have a clearishon that's filled with boiling hot water. I could immerse the chicken in that boiling hot water because it's a clearishon that's not on the fire. I could not put it rabbinically on a clearishon that's on the fire, but I could put it in a clearishon that's not on the fire. In Kalvachomer, I could do it in a klisheni. Kali bishul is not a problem because ain bishul achar bishul, and I can do it in a klishalishi, right? So one way is immersing it in the hot liquid of a klishon, klisheni, klishalishi, and you don't have to, shalom aloesh, the klishon is not on the fire, and that's going to be permitted. Now, that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is you can put it on any hot surface, even if it's Yad Saletis, but very hot, that you normally do not cook raw food on. So, an example might be a hot radiator. I could reheat food on top of a hot radiator, even if the radiator is 150 degrees, it's not a surface that you normally cook food. Now, what about on a stovetop? Now, the stovetop will be covered. That's called a blech, right? A blech is Yiddish for just a tin thing, and a blech is a covered fire. Can I put a pot of food on the blech to warm up. Now the answer is I cannot. And the reason I cannot is even though it's solid food and even though there's no cooking after cooking, so I don't transgress the malacha of Bisho, there is a rabbinic decree that you shouldn't do anything that looks like you're cooking on Shabbos. And since people commonly cook on top of a stove, you are not allowed to put something directly on top of the stove, even if there is a blech, because the, the technical term for this is called michsi kimavashal. Michsi is Aramaic. It looks like bishal. So it's not bishal. So I can put it on a radiator. I can put it in a klirishon, hot water, shalom aloesh, or a klisheni or a klishalishi. I cannot put it directly on a blech, either in a pot or not in a pot. But what I could do is this. I can put it on top of a pot that's on the blech. Let's imagine you have chicken soup that you kept overnight that's been on a, a flame on the blech. 
So I can put my chicken, my kugel, remember solid food, my rice, I can't put it on the blech, whether it's in a pot or not in a pot. I cannot put the pot on the blech because michsi kimabashel, not bishel, it's not bishel. It looks like bishel, it's not bishel. But if it's on top of another pot, I can do it because that is not the way people normally cook food. And therefore, even if it'll get hot, like mm-hmm. yasu lettuce bow, it's mutter because it's solid, meaning you've eliminated, you couldn't do this with raw food because you'd be cooking it. Because if the raw food gets yasu lettuce bow, that's considered to be cooking. But once, you've got, <coughs> once you don't have a cooking problem, you only have an appearance problem. So then this is called kideira al-gabe kideira. A pot on top of a pot. Same thing if you have a tea urn, same thing. Let's imagine you have a hot water urn. So you can put your chicken, your rice, or your kugel on top of the urn because it is not the derech to cook raw food on top of an urn. Now you have to be careful with the urn because uh, you might make it fleshic. You know, there are different issues if there's any dripping, uh, whatever it would be. <coughs> but in terms of Shabbos, you can take your food, your solid food, dry solid food, put it on top of an urn, put it on top of a pot that's on the stovetop. Now, the example I gave you of on top of a pot is that the bottom pot has food in it. It has chicken soup in it, or whatever it has in it. What if it's an empty pot? Can I just do this? Let, let's just, again, I have a chicken, kugel, and rice that I want to reheat from the refrigerator. Am I allowed to put it directly on the blach? No, I'm not. If it's yatsu lettuce, but it is, right? I'm not. But I can put it on top of a pot. If the pot has chicken soup in it or whatever, for sure it's mutter. But what if there's nothing on there? Can I just put an empty, can I put an empty pot on the lech and put my chicken pot on top of that? So that's a big, or some people invert it even, or an aluminum uh, tin, right? They'll tell you, maybe you've seen this, an inverted aluminum tin, right? They're doing it, they'll treat that like a pot and they put their uh, chicken and kugel and rice on top of that. So that is a big, big, big machlokas. There are many opinions that say that the heter of rewarming food on top of a pot that's on the blech is only if the bottom pot itself is cooking food. But if the bottom pot is empty (coughs) or it's an inverted aluminum tin, all you've done is you've added a layer to your blech. You just made the blech thicker. The same way you can't put it on the blech, you can't put it on the second story of the blech. <laughs> An extra pot that's not cooking food is simply adding something to the blech. 
So there, there is a machlokas, and, and in different people's houses, you will see different people doing, assuming people know what they're doing. Uh, different people will follow different ways. It is actually better to be machmer on this. But again, I, I don't know what, if Chabad has a particular minog, one way or the other, but uh, there are reasons, I mean, to follow. Either opinion has its sources in halacha. Now, so we talked about a radiator, we talked about a pot on top of a pot. We talked about a kli rishon, not on the fire, klisheni, klishlishi. Let's now talk about a plata, which is probably, uh, at least in Israel, the most popular thing uh, of doing it. Now, a plata is simply a hot plate. And there are two types of hot plates, two types of platas that exist. One plata has no, uh, it's not adjustable, meaning uh, you plug it in and it only operates at one setting. Usually it'll be a little bit more than Yatsuletispo, so it might be 120 degrees, 130 degrees, not, not much more than that. Which means halachically it can cook, so you couldn't put raw food on, on a plata, but Lamaisa people are not going to cook raw food on a plata because it would take too long. So a non-adjustable plata is halachically like a radiator. It is not a surface that people will ever use for cooking. You would never put a raw chicken on top of a plata because it would take, you know, 20 hours. <laughs> So since it is not a cooking surface, you are allowed to put your kogel, chicken, and rice directly on the Shabbos plata without the need for there to be a pot. Now the difference between, so you may ask me, well, why is a plata different than a blech? Because a blech is a stovetop. A stovetop is a surface that people do cook raw food on. Therefore, in order to negate a maris ayin that you're cooking, you need to do something unusual, like a pot on top of a pot. But that's only true for a stovetop. But for a non-adjustable plata, where nobody would ever use it to cook raw food, so you're allowed to put it directly on the plata, right? Now this is non-adjustable, a non-adjustable plata, meaning which will typically just be 110, 120 degrees. Now, if you have an adjustable plata, so it gets more complicated. It really depends on how high it goes. But if you can really take it up to the way a sto- the way an oven a sto- I'm sorry, not an oven, a stovetop would be, then you got to treat it like a stovetop, which means you'll you'll need a blech number one, you'll need to cover the dials number two, just like you have to cover the stovetop dials, and and even if you have a blech and even if the dials are covered, you will not be able to warm up the chicken, the kugel, or the rice, unless there is a pot on the plata 
and I had mentioned that most many opinions say it has to have food on it from before Shabbos. In, in other words, basically, uh, non-adjustable plata, plata is treated like a radiator. Adjustable plata might be treated like a stovetop, a blech. Okay, you see the logic, logic here. Now again, let me emphasize, all of this is presupposing cold, solid, dry food that was cooked. We're talking about reheating. Uh, you could not put something raw on a radiator, for example, because even if it's not the way people do it normally, you're cooking it, lamaisa. Right? So if there's real visual, we don't care if it looks like cooking or it doesn't look like cooking. You get to the issue of looking like cooking only after you've gotten rid of actual, <clears throat> actual cooking. Okay? Uh, make, uh, make sense. Okay. Now, which means, in other words, by implication, a non, now you'll see people have different minhagim, a non-adjustable plata may not even need a blech at all, just, uh, just uh, the plata, because it's not a cooking surface inherently. You see? Although it may need a blech for another reason, which, which we'll get to. But in terms of rewarming, you'd be allowed to rewarm on a plata. An adjustable plata would need a blech, would need, uh, by the way, the blech can be aluminum foil, an extra covering of aluminum foil. That, that could be your blech. You would need a blech, you would need to cover the dials, and you would need a pot of food on the adjustable plata from before Shabbos, which is the same thing you would need for a, for a stovetop, generally, because at that point, it becomes a cooking surface. And then we're choshesh for what is called michsi kimavashim. Okay, so these are the ways, I don't know, I probably haven't gone through every possible way, but these are the ways you reheat uh, fully cooked, dry food on Shabbos, uh, either in a kli rishon or kli sheni or kli shalishi, shalo aloesh, or on a radiator, or on a non-adjustable Shabbos plata, or on a pot, on top of a pot, or on top of an urn, uh, where the lower pot or the lower urn has liquid or something cooking in the urn. And at that point, even if the food reaches a temperature of Yad Soledispo, you have no problem of bishel because it's solid food. And uh, ain't bishel achar bishel for a davar yavesh, that's nispashel, Called sorcha that was fully, uh, that was fully cooked. Yeah. Are you allowed to reheat on top of a crock pot, or is the steam that's coming? Out? No, no. So on top of a crock pot would be the same thing. On top of a crock pot would be the same thing as on top of an urn. Okay. So that would be fine. That's perfectly fine. Okay. Alrighty. So that's how you reheat your uh, solid food. Now, and I'll get. I will discuss a little bit. When things are mixed with solid and liquid, how do you characterize them? Well, that's an important question, but I'll get to that. First, I want to just give you the rules regarding liquid and solid, and then we'll talk about mixed liquid-solid. Now, <coughs> what do I do with liquids? Now, liquids, I got a real problem, because if the liquids are, co are cold, if they're from the refrigerator, they're cooler than room temperature, then even if they were fully cooked, there is, cook, there is cooking after cooking in the reheating of liquid. So the short answer is you have no way <laughs> of reheating liquids other than, 
other than putting them on a warm surface that is less than hmm. Yad Soledis Bo. So I could put, let's say, uh, let's assume my soup is in a jar. I could put the jar of soup uh, in uh, even a Clirishon if it's less than 110 degrees. Uh, or I could put it on a part of the blech, even directly on the blech, by the way. In fact, I could, have done that, I could have done that with solids too. I could put it on a part of the blech that's less than Yad Soledisma. Now, that means you're not going to be able, you're not, I mean, this is just a Matthias, you will not be able to get it hot, but you will be able to get it lukewarm. So you get, you know, you get something. Can you understand this? Uh, because of the rule that there is, there is cooking after cooking once liquids have cooled down to room temperature or below, so by definition, uh, you have no possible way to get it up to Yatsoletispa because that would be recooking it. So uh, again, you can put it in a jar of soup or whatever it is, could be put in a bowl of hot water that's less than Yatsoletispa. It's not hot water, but lukewarm water, or you can put it on top of the blech or the plata at a part of it that's less than yad soledisma. Right now, you may not know, but basically there's a part of the blech that you could touch with your hand and wouldn't pull away. That's where you're allowed to put it, and hopefully over time it'll get uh, lukewarm. That's about it, okay? So the only realistic way to have hot soup Shabbos morning is you gotta leave it on the stovetop on the blech all night. You do have a problem, sometimes uh, it evaporates, it gets burnt, other times it gets sour. Soup, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of an art to pre preserve soup on a, on a stove overnight. It's not, not that uh, easy. Okay, already everyone understands the, uh, the issue. Now, so obviously the bottom line is a simple bottom line. It is much, much easier to reheat dry cooked food on Shabbos than it is to reheat liquidy food on Shabbos. So your immediate question is, okay, so what's liquid and what's solid when I got stuff that's mixed with both, right? I have chicken. The chicken is in gravy. Uh, the roast beef is in gravy. I have cholent, right? Cholent itself has di different consistencies. Uh, the cholent has potatoes and meat and beans, but the cholent also has, uh, you know, liquid like oil or whatever, whatever it is. So uh, if I take it, okay, cholent usually you don't take out of the refrigerator. Cholent usually medafka was cooked all night, but if it's something I'm taking out of the refrigerator <coughs> and it has liquid solid, so uh, how does how, how does it work? So here, what's interesting is Svartim are very makele here again. Svartim basically have a strange rule. It really does not make a lot of sense analytically. They say, you simply look at the majority, and meaning if there's more chicken than gravy, you can warm up the whole shebang. Because as long as it's more chicken than gravy, halakhically it is solid, and you're fine. If it's more gravy than chicken, which is you know, usually not the case, then you have a problem. Ramosha Feinstein says he doesn't understand what does majority have to do with it? I mean, even if it's only a little bit of gravy, you're cooking that little bit of gravy. 
I mean, you can't say, because most of it is chicken, I'm not cooking the gravy. I am cooking the gravy. So Rav Moshe, and by the way, the, the, the Alter Rebbe says the same thing. The Alter Rebbe says in the Shulchan Aruch, earlier than Rav Moshe, the Alter Rebbe in the Shulchan Aruch absolutely rejects the notion of majority. He says, if there's any liquid at all, this is very strict, although I'll mention Rav Orbach's Ezra, if there's any liquid at all, you cannot reheat because you're cooking that liquid. So the Alter Rebbe uh, was very, very machmer on this, and uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein uh, seems to agree, agree with that psak as well. But Rav Warbach added something, which I think maybe the Alter Rebbe would, would, would agree to also, although it's not clear. And that is, <coughs> let's say you have a pan of roast beef and gravy. So, for sure, I could not put this pan on the plateau, or even on top of another pot, if it'll be... Now, again, if it's not going to be at Soledisbo, you're fine, but I couldn't, I couldn't put it on top of a pot, I couldn't put it on top of an urn if it's going to be at Soledisbo, because I'm cooking it, right? And even if most of it is meat and only a minority is gravy, I can't do that, okay. But Ravarbach says, if you take the meat out of the gravy, even though there are globules, obviously, of fat or, or gravy on the meat, that doesn't count. Meaning it, there's a difference between a recognizable pool of gravy where the Alter Rebbe says you have to be machmir versus it's really just meat, but there happens to be, you know, it's wet to the touch. You don't have to take a towel, a paper towel, and dry the meat. Like that might be a problem with Borer, actually. <laughs> that might be another problem. Okay, so Rav Orbach basically says when you got meat in gravy and you want to reheat it, just take the meat out of the gravy, put it in a separate tin, and then you can reheat it, and you don't have to worry about what, what's left there. Again, uh, would the Alter Rebbe agree to that? I cannot say I'm 100% sure, but I, but I think he might, meaning you don't have a proof that he would be answered. The only thing the Alter Rebbe clearly rejects is he rejects the idea that you simply look at majority. He doesn't say majority of chicken is not enough to allow you to reheat the gravy, but in terms of you know taking the chicken out, uh, I think he would be moda that that's going to be, that's going to be okay. Um, in terms of cholent and other things, you'd have the same issue, meaning according to the Alter Rebbe. I mean, again, as I say, cholent, typically, you're not, you're not reheating from the refrigerator. I mean, the whole purpose of cholent is that it stays overnight. But if you, for some reason, wind up reheating a liquidy, you want to reheat a liquidy cholent uh, on a hot surface, you're going to have to take out the potatoes, the meat, and the beans from the liquid and reheat them as a separate thing. And by the way, that's not considered borer because you're taking the good from the bad. You're taking what you want. Okay, we, we, we didn't get into borer, but in case any of you are familiar with that, uh, I would be allowed to take out what it is I want to eat. See, borer is when you, the issue of borer is when you take the bad from the good, not when you take the good from the, from the bad. Okay? Okay, uh, so again, I mean, obviously you're going to have marginal cases. Uh, there's all sorts of combinations of liquid-solid 
that food possesses, but this is hopefully would be at least a general sense of what it is that you are, are looking for. Okay, any, any questions about, uh, about that? Okay, so I hope uh, this clarifies some things. So now I'm gonna talk about another area, but, but it is relevant, it'll tie into what we've been talking about. In fact, it's been lurking in the background, and that is the halacha. Oh yes, let me just mention something else before, before I get to that. Um, we've been talking about reheating on the stovetop, on a plata, on top of a pot, on a radiator, all of these things. What about reheating in an oven? Let's assume I have an oven that's either on or on a timer. Now, I certainly cannot cook. This is important. I cannot cook raw food with an oven on a timer. That's for sure. But let's assume I want to use my oven to reheat. Right? I just want to take cold, solid, cold, solid food. Cold, solid, right? Again, chicken, kogo, rice. And I want to put it in my oven. So here, you do need to know that you are not allowed, that all of these heterim do not apply to putting it in an oven. You are not allowed to put food in an oven that is on a job. Now, now, if the oven is off, but it's still hot from before, so you can do that. And of course, if the oven is less than Yatso Lettuce Bow, you could always do that as well. But if you have an oven that's on and it is a temperature of Yatso Lettuce Bow or more, you are not permitted under any circumstances to put even Kalvachomer liquid, but even cold, dry, solid food inside of an oven. So that is not a permissible reheating surface on uh, Shabbos. Now, what about the food that I placed in my oven before Shabbos? Let's say I have an oven. So I'm going to take it out on Shabbos. Are there any particular problems with taking food out of an oven on Shabbos, right? Putting it in, you're not allowed to do, that's for sure. I'm not allowed to put food in the oven on Shabbos, even if it's fully cooked. But is there any problem with taking it out? So in the olden days, there was no problem. There's no malacha of taking food out of an oven. What, what, what are you doing wrong? I'm taking food out of an oven. But with the advent of the electric oven, there is indeed a very big problem. And it's not bishul, it's not bishul. There's no cooking problem when I take food out of an oven. I'm not putting anything back in. But the problem is the thermostat. That is, let's assume you set your oven at 250 degrees. Now the way that works is the oven heats up, there's a heating element that glows red until it hits 250, and then it shuts off. And it will remain off until the temperature goes below 250, then it turns on again. That's, that, that way you get a constant temperature of 250, right? That's a thermostat, right? A thermostat is on and off depending on your temperature setting. So what's my problem? When I open, let's assume the oven is set at 250. 
When I open the oven door, what happens is cold air goes into the oven. The cold air that goes into the oven may cause the temperature to go below 250. And what's gonna happen if the temperature goes below 250? You're going to be turning on the electric heating element. So the big problem you have with opening the oven and removing the food is you might trigger the heating element. So because of this, I'll get to Shabbos mode oven in, in a moment. Because of this, it's important that if you take food out of the oven, the indicator light be on. See, see again, I mean, it depends. I mean, the problem is models are very confusing today, but the old-fashioned thermostatic model, at least that I grew up with, that was, uh, you know, ancient, uh, ancient times, but uh, was that when the oven was heating up, a red light was showing. When the oven shut off because it reached 250, the light turned off. So the problem is, if you open the oven when the light is off, you may cause the light to go on. And there are two sins in that. You're causing the light to go on, but you're also causing the heating element to go on. Now, if, however, the light is off when you open the oven, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's the problem. If the light is off, you have a problem. You may cause it to go on. If the light is on, because you know, naturally the oven cools off by itself, if the light is on, meaning the heating element is already on, then you're able to remove the food because you're not causing anything to happen. It's already heating up. You see? So the simple idea is remove your food when the indicator light is on and not when the indicator light is off. That may make sense. Now, in modern ovens, however, and you really got to check this, it may be much, much worse. Because modern ovens, in addition to thermostats, have digital readouts meaning when you open the oven door, it'll immediately tell you the temperature, it'll show the temperature, it'll give you numbers and lights. So at that point, it makes no difference if the thermostat is on or the thermostat is off. If you're gonna get electronic digital readouts, you're not allowed to cause that on Shabbos. So if you have an oven that gives you readouts, you cannot use it on Shabbos or Yom Tov at all, uh, you cannot even keep the food from before Shabbos and take it out on Shabbos. Okay, everyone understand? In other words, uh, the oven of my youth, all it had was a thermostat and an indicator light. So there you had an etza of taking the food out when the light was on and not when the light was off. But today, uh, that etza may not apply. Now, this is why there is this invention that's called Shabbos Mode Oven. This was done totally for religious Jews, basically. I mean, uh, they wanted to get the religious business. 
and a Shabbos mode oven, a lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people think that a Shabbos mode oven, you can reheat anything on Shabbos. Absolutely not. Uh, Shabbos mode oven only does one thing. Shabbos mode oven disables the, re- the, the digital readouts for Shabbos, and it disables the thermostat. So if you set the oven at uh, 2.30, if you make it lower, it'll just get cold, meaning you'll lose the heat, meaning it's, nothing is gonna be activated. Which means you may lose the benefit of it, but if, if, if my oven is set on Shabbos mode at 2.50, then when I open it, it'll go down to 2.35, and that's, you know, so be it, it's not gonna get back to 2.50. So you lose heat. But the advantage is that since there's no thermostat problem and there's no readout problem and there's no buzzer problem, that's also a thing, so I can use the Shabbos mode oven. Now, here's the thing. What can I use it for? This is very important. I cannot use it to cook, for sure. I can't put in raw food. That's a doraisa. And... I can't even use it to reheat solid dry food because I mentioned before you can never use the inside of an oven as a cooking surface. This is a very common mistake. Shabbos mode ovens do not allow you to reheat food in the ovens. The only thing it allows you to do is the food that was cooked in the oven before Shabbos, you can remove from the oven. So it, it doesn't, so it allows you, in other words, to put food in the oven before Shabbos and remove it, because I'm not activating anything. It will not allow me to reheat food. Right? So, so be sure you understand this. A Shabbos mode oven cannot be used to reheat even solid dry food, and kalvachomer, of course, it cannot be used to reheat liquids under any circumstance. In other words, it simply, it doesn't, in fact, it doesn't avoid visual problems at all. Anything, anything to do with cooking, it's still going to be cooking. The only problems Shabbos mode ovens avoid are thermostat problems and digital readout problems by disabling them. Okay, so, so again, um, no, there's a button, meaning during the week you uh, disable the Shabbos mode and then you get all the things back that you want if you want them. Uh, by the way, refrigerator is very much the same, same issue. Uh, same thing with the refrigerator. Refrigerators are also on a thermostat. And you'll see this. When you open your refrigerator, so often after a few minutes, if the refrigerator is open for a few minutes, you'll hear a, a motor turn on. Why is the motor turning on? Because your refrigerator is set at a certain temperature. It has to be cold. When you open the door, warm air comes in. If the warm air raises the temperature, let's say the refrigerator is supposed to be, I don't know, whatever it is, 25 degrees. So when the refrigerator is closed, it's 25 degrees. When you open it for a few minutes, it may go up to 28 degrees. Once it goes up to 48 degrees, the motor turns on to make it cold again. So, 
How are you allowed, really the same type of problem, how are you allowed to take food out of the refrigerator on Shabbos? In fact, maybe you've experienced this, that sometimes you open the refrigerator and then it starts, uh, I started a motor, right? I'm, I did a malacha. It's not cooking, it's a different malacha, but whatever the malacha of electricity is, a fire or, you know, that's another question exactly, what malacha did I do? But most of us understand that for whatever the reason, I can't start a motor on Shabbos. So according to this, many are machmir that they will only open their refrigerator when the motor is already operating because at that point you're not starting anything. Now Lamai said there are coolest uh, to open a refrigerator even when the motor is not started because it's not a certainty that you're going to trigger the motor, that you can test this. You know, normally the refrigerator would have to be open let's say five minutes before so. One minute, one minute, one minute, it's not going to be triggered. But these are the things to, to be aware of. Now, once again, though, in modern refrigerators, you know, modern appliances are, have, not, have not been that great for the front person. Uh, modern appliances have digital readouts and all sorts of things, uh, and these are going to be problems. I mean, I mean, if every time you open a refrigerator, there's going to be a temperature reading that's going to be a, uh, like a digital readout, you're not allowed to open your refrigerator. So once again, there is a Shabbos mode option on a lot of refrigerators. You see, they want the orthodox business. So General Electric, other companies, and certainly in Israel, they all do this. They create Shabbos mode appliances so you can do this. Now, another example of an interesting, you might call it Yomtif mode appliance. You know, one of the safety features they built into ovens and stoves is that they shut off automatically after 12 hours. And the reason is, so there shouldn't be an accidental fire because you went to sleep, uh, forgot, you forgot to shut off your oven. So it's a safety feature of automatically shutting off. Now, that's a big problem for a firm person, especially a three-day yumtif in Kutzlaritz. I mean, uh, I'm gonna, and on yumtif I can cook even. <clears throat> I'm gonna lose my stove after 12 hours. So that's another feature. In other words, these are not related, these are unrelated features to accommodate that uh, they disable the automatic shutoff system so that the oven will be on for the entire time. Right, on Yom Tif you, you can cook so you don't have the problem. If you have a Shabbos mode oven on Yom Tif, you can actually cook in the oven because uh, there's no thermostat being activated and you are allowed to cook on Yom Tif. So the truth is, many people say, it would be better to call Shabbos mode ovens Yom Tif mode ovens because you actually get more benefit on Yom Tif than you get on Shabbos from them. Okay, any uh, questions? Yeah. Um, with uh, removing food from the oven um, on Shabbos, if yeah. you, so if you need to get something in there, if you have like, two different things in there and you need to get one of them and you have to remove the other to get to the second, Yeah. Um, can you, you can put it back in if you don't put it down, right? No. Uh, I'm going to get to that, but, okay. but not in an oven. Okay. That would work for a stovetop. Okay. It does not work for an oven. Okay. So for an oven, once it is removed from the oven, you cannot put it back in. Okay. That's an important uh, distinction. Okay. Now, um, so this brings us uh, to exactly what your question was, and that is, uh, generally speaking, the one thing that emerges is you cannot reheat directly on a blech, directly on a stovetop. You need a pot on top of a pot or, 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 or a plata. 
uh, but you cannot read. Now, why can't I reheat directly on a stovetop, on a blech? What's wrong with that? If it's fully dry and it's uh, not cooking, the answer is, rabbinically, it is called mirsi kimavashel. It resembles cooking. So now, we're going to deal with a different situation. Not a question of reheating, but let's say, when Shabbos began, I have pots on top of the stove. There's a block and everything on top of the stove. I have soup, I have uh, gravy, I, I have different things cooking, and they're all hot. Uh, and I remove it to serve people. Can I return it back to the blech? Now, we're not dealing with cold, right? We're, de- we're dealing with returning something hot back to the blech. It was on the blech before Shabbos. When Shabbos began, it was on the blech. I now want to return it. This is called chazara. Chazara means returning it. So, the halacha says, chazara meaning returning to the blech, the stovetop, something you took off the blech, is generally permitted if five conditions are met. Condition one is that the fire be covered, meaning that's a blech, meaning it's not be an exposed stovetop. Meaning if I had a pot of soup on a regular stovetop and I took it off, I would not be allowed to put it back. There has to be a blech. There has to be a covered fire. Number two, the food must be fully cooked. Meaning you're putting it back to stay warm, but but it's already been cooked. Number three, it must still be warm. This is true even for a solid, by the way. In other words, okay, be sure you don't confuse this. Even though it's true that a solid can be reheated, even if it's cold, but not directly on the stovetop. Okay, in, in, in other words, in order to allow chazara directly on the stovetop, it has to be warm, okay? This is true even for a salad. So, again, the fire has to be covered. It must be fully cooked. It must still be warm. Number four, it's still in your hand. You haven't put it down. Now, what that means is the following. Okay, okay, I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. And number five, when you removed it, you intended that you were going to put it back. These are called the conditions of Chazara. The five conditions of being able to put it back on the blech, on the stovetop. The fire must be covered with what we call a blech, which includes the dials. The food must already be fully cooked. It must still be warm. Warm meaning above room temperature. It doesn't mean that's what I spoke but above room temperature. Number two, it must still be in your hand. And number five, this is your internal mental state. The remover had intention to put it back. So, 
Let's see how this works in practice. Let's imagine it's Friday night and there is a big pot of chicken soup on the stovetop. Okay? I remove the big pot to ladle the contents into a tureen. Now you may be thinking, uh, see it's over later, well why can't I just ladle it from the pot on the fire? I'll get to that, but, but trust me for now. I remove the pot to lay, be able to ladle it either into bowls or a tureen. It makes no difference here. So, in order for me to put that pot of chicken soup back on the stove, the stove, the stove must have a black, okay, it has that. The chicken soup must be completely cooked, it must still be warm. It must still be in my hand. Now what does it mean still be in my hand? That basically, it doesn't mean you have to hold it in the air. It's a little hard <laughs> to hold this big chicken soup in the other hand. I can put it down, I can put it down on a table, but I don't let go of my hand. Meaning I put it down, I'm still grasping it. And then with my, let's say I'm grasping it with my left hand, I'm spooning it out, and then, assuming when I removed it, my intention was to put it back, I can then put it back on the blech. Okay? These are called the conditions of chazara. Otherwise, you could not, meaning, this is so again, the rules for chazara are actually the same for liquid and solid. Here, there's no difference if it's liquid or solid. If you, if you want to put it back directly on the blech, now for solid, if it's a pot on top of a pot, you don't have to follow these rules because I could take it out of the refrigerator. I mean, obviously, <coughs> anything I could reheat by taking out of the refrigerator, I don't have to follow these rules. Okay? But these rules apply when I want to put it over the fire. And I wouldn't be allowed to reheat any food that way I could do this if I follow the rules of, of Chazara. Now, these rules only apply to stovetops. They do not apply to ovens, once again. Meaning, anything you take out of the oven, even on Shabbos mode ovens, you cannot put back into the oven. So that's not going to help you. That, I think that's the answer to your, your question. It's not going to help you under those uh, circumstances. Now, what's interesting is that although the chachila, when you remove the chicken soup, you should comply with all five conditions. Bid the evan, after the fact, if you made a mistake, we allow either four or five to be enough, me- meaning the following. The first three conditions you have to have. There has to be a blech, number one. It has to be fully cooked, number two, and it has to be warm. If any of those conditions are missing, you cannot return it to the fire. However, let's assume you let go of the pot. Let's assume I put the pot on the table and I let go. So, I didn't have condition four, but I did have condition five because I still wanted to return it. So I would be allowed to return it. And vice versa. If I didn't let it go, but I thought I, was, I, would, I thought I would finish the whole soup and not have to return it, 
I could return it if I see that the soup, soup wasn't eaten. In other words, meaning instead of needing condition four and five, with the Eved, we allow either condition four or condition five. So you always need one, two, three, and either four or five. But if you're missing both four and five, meaning you let go and you didn't have intention to return it when you took it off, then you will not be allowed to return it on, on Shabbos. Okay, so these are called the uh, conditions of, uh, of Chazara. Now, just to clarify this a little further, the example I gave you is uh, I want to remove a pot of chicken soup so I could ladle it either into people's bowls or into a tureen. So that was the case I gave you. So you might ask me, well, why do I have to like move it and hold on to the pot? Why can't I just have a pot of chicken soup and take the tureen, not the tureen, take a ladle and ladle it into a tureen? In other words, why do, I, why, why do I need the scenario of moving the pot off the fire and then putting it back? Why can't I just ladle it from the pot that's on the fire? So as I say, the laws of Bishal are very, very interrelated. Uh, the, the answer is there's another problem. And let me explain what the, let me explain what the problem is. The problem is that stirring up food that's on a fire is in itself considered an act of cooking because often when you're cooking something, you stir it up and that causes different parts of it to get cooked faster than other parts. Right? Why do you stir food? Part of stirring food is because heat is not uniform. Right? If you're an expert in cooking, you know. So something might be hotter here and less hot here. You stir around so the part that's less cooked gets more cooked, etc. So this is called in Hebrew hagasa. Hagasa is stirring. You are not allowed, but this only applies if it's on the fire. You're not allowed to stir food that's on the fire. That's step one. Step two, the gezerah builds on itself. Ladling is a form of stirring, <laughs> meaning even though I'm ladling the soup, I'm not stirring the soup, but by definition, when you ladle in, you're causing some movement. So this is a two-pronged gezerah, not allowed to stir, number one, and ladling is a form of stirring. So, putting one and one together, if I want to serve chicken soup, I cannot ladle from the pot that's on the fire, even on a blech. So I have to take it off the fire, because the issue of stirring is only if it's on the fire, I meaning even if it's a klirishon, but if it's off the fire, the stirring is not called a cooking process. <coughs> so, that is why I must take it 
off the fire, but when I take it off the fire, I got to keep all of these laws of Chazara in order to be able to put it back. Okay, ladling from the fire is not going to be acceptable. But, you know, I'll end here, I don't want to overload you with too much stuff, but Rav Moshe Feinstein says there is a simpler way where you could avoid this requirement of having to hold on to it, etc. He says on a blech, there are three areas. There is the area directly over the flame. We'll call that A, area A. Then there's area B, where it's not directly over the flame, but it's hot enough to be yet, so let us it's still hot. And then there's area C, where uh, there's no din of Yatsu lettuce bow, meaning it's not even Yatsu lettuce bow. Area C, by the way, you could even heat liquids in area C of the blech. So Rav Moshe Feinstein rules that instead of taking the pot off the blech legamre, all you have to do is move it to even part B, even part B. Now, part B is a cooking surface. It's Yatsu lettuce, but, but since it's not over the fire, the laws of stirring and ladling don't apply. So Rabbi Feinstein says, you can move it back from B to A because it was never really taken off the curtain. In other words, the rule that you have to hold on to it is only when you took it off the cooking surface. So if I take it off the blech, I then have to be holding on to it, etc. But Rav Feinstein says, if I don't take it off the blech, I just simply move it to part B, right, I just move it, then I can ladle, because it's not directly over the fire, I'm then permitted, if I want, to move it back to A, provided it's still warm, meaning, uh, in other words, this gets rid of four or five, I don't have to hold on to it, I don't even have to have kavana to uh, intend to put it back, okay? So that would make it a little easier, that way you don't have to schlep the whole pot off the fire. Now, um, I remember very vividly, you know, I was a, uh, my yeshiva was near Yisrael in Baltimore. And uh, they made show, right? Every, every Shabbos morning, every Shabbos lunch, we had shovels. But a favorite activity of guys was to break into the kitchen. I, I was not necessarily that, that involved. At least I'll plead the Fifth Amendment. Was to kind of break into the kitchen uh, Friday night or Thursday night and have Friday night shalot. <laughs> and that was illegal. That was against these people. Now, eventually, they broke down and they made a special, separate Friday night shalot. But that didn't taste as good. The Pusik in Mishle. The Pusik says in Mishle, Befeirish. Mayim Ganuvim Yumtaku. Stolen water tastes sweeter. <laughs> Right? So the stolen cholent was much sweeter than the cholent that they put up for us. But I remember uh, the Rosh Hashiva, uh, blessed memory, gave a whole Musr Shmuz about how, number one, we were stealing, not, not we, not we, but whoever was doing it was, was stealing from the yeshiva. How can you steal? But then he made a point that you're also desecrating Shabbos. And the desecrating of Shabbos was they would open the oven and they would scoop the chalent. So what are you doing? You're stirring food over the, that's in the oven. 
right? So that's considered to be cooking, right? Just as we just said. It has to be removed. So uh, that was my first exposure to that, that particular, particular halacha. Okay, uh, so I, I, hope, I hope this makes sense. We did, we did cover Mamish a lot today. I hope uh, it makes sense. And again, we'll, we'll go over some more details Thank you. next week. Okay, you all have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you.